And that is the musical stylings of Brad Henderson as we have labeled the song Come Sit With Me. And uh, Chelsea uh, named that tune, and she got a wonderful Sonic gift card. And uh, I still like the late entry of I've Fallen But I Can't Get Down. I thought that would be a great song title for that. (laughs) Nobody else? Nobody like that? That's great. Okay. So, uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pastor's Cut Podcast. I'm sitting here with Dave. Dave, say hi. Howdy. Marissa, say hi. Hello. Shalom. (laughs) And uh, we got Brad back here in the booth. Brad, wave to the folks at home. He's back there as well. And welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This is for the week of March 6th, and we'll be talking about Luke 15. And we're going to get to that here in just a second, but a couple of public service announcements. Dave, as we're doing this Pastor's Cut podcast, we're staying in line with the messages, but many of our community groups are departing from the Pastor's Cut to do something else. So tell us what that is. That is correct. So starting February 27th, community groups are going to go through a seven-week series, six weeks walking through Tell Someone by Greg Laurie, and the seventh week spending some time praying and interceding and looking at a passage of Scripture that explores what it means to pray and intercede for people far from God. And so we'll be in week two at the same time that, that Darren is preaching this message on Sunday morning. And as you're doing that, my hope, my prayer is that, that we have a better understanding of how to communicate the gospel with friends, with family members, with neighbors, with people that are far from God, and that we're equipped with resources to also invite them to church. So Dave, I want you to talk for just a minute. Uh, as you as our minister of discipleship and, and reaching out through our small groups, you came here from a church plant, a very young church that, you know, it, survival was necessitated on, we've got to invite people to this place, or we're not going to be here a year from now. So you move from church planning world into a church that's 125 years old, so and, and a relatively stable church um, with some unstable people sometimes, but yeah, relatively stable. If, <laughs> if we you, all a little unstable uh, at times? Yes. So oh. um, you know, if you had something to say to our church, just uh, from a from a perspective of if we're going to share the gospel, let's get to this. What what would you say to this church? I would say it just simply starts with being courageous enough to open the door to initiate a conversation. So many times we get in our own little bubbles in our own worlds and we start doing things are just almost almost automatically as we roll through, roll through our days and roll through our weeks. Break up that routine. Intentionally walk across to your neighbor, have a conversation with them um, or, or walk next door or when you're in line at a grocery store, be intentional to listen to conversations behind you or in front of you and, and maybe say, hey, do you go to church anywhere? Just those subtle little things of, of breaking up your normal routines can go a long way. Yeah, and we'll be talking about Jesus' parables in Luke 15 today. With this, um, by the, the Sunday before that, and our podcast schedule and our sermon schedules gets convoluted sometimes. You know, in, in Luke 10, when Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan just served whoever was in his path. It wasn't, you know, I'm gonna, I've got to go target these people. And that It's who does God put in front of you and serve them? One of the best ways to serve is by sharing the truth of the gospel. So, Marissa, I'm going to ask you to talk about um, March 2nd, Ash Wednesday, begins our Lenten season. Right, and so Dave just said something I like, breaking up our normal routines. Um, Lent and Ash Wednesday, that's a fantastic way to kind of break up our normal routines, let God reenter the habits of our lives. And Ash Wednesday specifically is just a time to be still together and remember that God is God. So in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel uses ashes when he says, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, 
oh Lord, listen and act. So that's what we're doing is we're, we're reflecting that act that uh, Daniel um, demonstrated for us by coming together and and um, honoring God through wearing ash. Okay, so so what would you say to somebody, they've never been to an Ash Wednesday service before, um, there's a short liturgy, and then we're going to put ashes on their forehead. Yes. And we ask people to wear those ashes the rest of the day. It's right. kind of a sign of the season of repentance. Yeah, so, and what better way to start a conversation with somebody, like Dave was saying, than having a cross on your forehead. Yeah, yeah. hey, you got a smudge on your forehead. No, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not a smudge, it's a cross. <laughs> you know, what What would you say to somebody that's kind of, that's weird, that's out of the ordinary? Because I remember the first time I saw somebody on Ash Wednesday, I didn't know what to make of it, it, it um, it was actually a political figure being interviewed, and they had the ashes on their forehead. Yeah. It looked kind of strange. So, you know, what would you say to somebody that, that just feels that feels weird? Yeah, and, you know, it is not a requirement. If you feel incredibly uncomfortable by it, by it, it may not be for you, and that is just fine. But we do invite you to come and be part of the liturgy and the song and the experience. You don't have to get the ashes. But if you do, it's a fantastic conversation starter. It's a way for um, you to... Uh, display the love of Jesus on your forehead <laughs> throughout the yeah. day. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't avoid that. Um, it, you know, when Daniel used the ashes, uh, when he applied that ashes, it was a lament, a sorrow. But our ashes are in the form of a cross that shows the great hope that we have in Jesus. Um, it's it's just a symbol, but it means so much more. Yeah, you know? and we, we, are, we, we thrive on symbols. We use the symbol of baptism. We use the symbol of cup and bread. We use the symbol of oil for healing. Mm. This is just another symbol in our vocabulary right. of, of symbols that we use. Yeah. Quick quiz, you know, the season of Lent, that sounds like an odd word. Mm-hmm. Do you know where that word comes from? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Waiting? No. No. Strike one. Dave? <laughs> Latin? It, it is, uh, no. Strike two? <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody else know that reference, Bueller? Bueller, yeah. Bueller, yes, anyone, yes. anyone. <laughs> so um, it actually comes from Old English, which may come back to Latin, but it's Old English. It's the the word for lengthen. So mm. you kind of hear it in there just a bit because we it's the time of the year where the days are lengthening. So it's springtime, and so Lent actually refers not to the the uh, um, the the gold you find in your belly button. We're not talking about that. <laughs> I was trying to be funnier than that, but yeah. So not the fabric gold in your belly button. It's the, the lengthen, lengthening of days. Is it time to go to the Bible? The fabric gold in your... Yes. <laughs> I would say yes. So but March 2nd, 7 a.m. Yep. Noon. Yep. 5 p.m. Got it. And uh, we will have soup at noon if you would like to join us for some soup. Soup? Yes. What kind of soup? Uh, I believe it'll be chicken tortilla, but it's That's not good. set like, in stone as of yet. I like some soup. Soup's not stone up. soup. Perfect. All right, so let's, let's jump in. This is uh, Luke chapter 5. This is the third of Jesus' three main parables. Uh, the, the sower and the seed in the soils was number one back in Luke 8. Luke 10, uh, the Good Samaritan, which is easily probably Jesus' most recognized parable. I mean, people even talk today about a Good Samaritan that have no idea what that story is, that, that we still have a linguistic connection to there. And uh, now there's three parables uh, in Luke 15. Uh, in the sermon planning sheet, I have labeled this the trifecta. <laughs> there are three stories that Jesus uses in one. Since this is a long passage, I will, I'll just do a brief summation and then ask us to reflect on these. So the first is the parable of the lost sheep. A shepherd uh, keeping a sheep. By the way, a shepherd would be so attuned to his flock that he would be able to look 
and almost unconsciously count how many were there. He would just know something was missing. Um, he'd be able to count very quickly. One's missing. He leaves the 99, goes out and finds the one. And he rejoices about the lost sheep being found. And, and Jesus said that's like God who rejoices over those who are lost and are found. Then there's the parable of the lost coin. This is not uh, a shepherd. This is a woman in her household. Um, where this image comes from, it could be that a, a family's living on the edge of poverty and every penny needed to be used. Or uh, ten coins would often be used in a woman's um, headdress in her wedding, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a veil. Um, it would be, be worn in her hair, so it might have sentimental value. Either way, a coin is lost. The woman turns her house upside down to find it. And once she does, she rejoices in the same way God rejoices over those who are lost and found. Then Jesus tells the, the last parable, which probably right up there with the Good Samaritan is one of his most famous parables of the prodigal son. And we can talk about the word prodigal here in just a moment because people have played with this over the years and say it's not the son who's prodigal, it's the father who's prodigal. Prodigal does not mean wayward. It means extravagant. Okay, and so the son spent his father's inheritance extravagantly, as he shouldn't have, but really the prodigal one is the father, that he's mm-hmm. extravagant with his love. One of his two sons asks for his inheritance, goes, lives in a wild country, moves to Claremore, and spends it all <laughs> on wild living, comes back home, and the father receives him as the lost son who is dead and is now alive again. So we have these three parables of how God is searching for the lost and celebrating when we are found. So I'm just going to open it up here a bit. I always start with, do I start with Marissa? I think you mix it up pretty well. Do I mix it up pretty well? Who who wants to go first? I feel good about it. Okay. I don't want to favor one over the other. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to start? Now now we're afraid to jump in. I know. Okay. Well, I'll hop (laughs) in Go ahead. Go ahead. So so let me ask this, Dave. Of Of the three parables, which one do you resonate with the most? I think I personally resonate with the first of the three. Just I, I, the image of, of a shepherd that we're in some ways we're all sheep we're all we're all about the father's business and God is radically he's looking over us he pursues us and goes to great lengths to to find us and invite us invite us into relationship with him and when he finds us instead of condemning us he just grabs us yeah isn't Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Yes. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the inequity of us all. So there's that picture of the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marissa, what, what three of the three resonates with you Oh, most? man. I think they are all just, you know, Jesus says this is one parable with three stories, and all of them just flow together and are so beautiful all together. Um, I, I think I, too, uh, resonate with the sheep just because of the beauty of the good shepherd. But as someone who is a lifelong, uh, almost lifelong Christian, a lifelong member of the church, the lost coin, those who are lost within the house of God are just as precious mm. as those who uh, wander in the outer country. Talk about that a little bit. That's, a, mm. that's an interesting take on that. So yeah, so all three of these uh, parables answer the question that the Pharisee asks, why are you eating with sinners? Um, all three parables are about the loss felt when something uh, very treasured is missing and the links that God goes to to restore his family to wholeness. So that story about the, shep- the sheep, uh, and we might go into that more uh, in a little bit, but that coin represents those who don't wander, that, uh, that remain within the fold and don't go into the outer country and kind of, you know, as a sheep kind of get stunned and have to go out and be rescued. Uh, the precious coin in this story is the Pharisee. It's it's the older brother, 
uh, maybe you and maybe me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's it's those that don't really realize their loss because they're still within the house. Um, we don't necessarily realize that we need saving just as much, um, but still God seeks us out. And uh, notice that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, just as the older brother is told by the father that you are precious too. Um, I feel your absence and will search you out yep. uh, till the family of God is whole again. All three of these parables is about a family that's no longer whole and Jesus's desire for that to become whole again and the great rejoicing when those people are found. And, and that's one of the, the differences in these three stories. And, and again, they drive home the same point of, you know, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Marissa, thank you for for giving that proper context to these stories because he's saying God is a seeking God. But there's a lot of reasons to be lost. You know, like, like the sheep, sometimes we just wander off in ignorance. We, we never know that there's a, a God. And we, so we wander off almost without knowing. Uh, the coin is an inanimate object. And so it didn't really choose to be lost. It just, it got misplaced. Mm-hmm. And there's some people just, the, just the life circumstances, they have never been exposed to the gospel. And uh, there's never been somebody to cross their path to share the good news. And so they, it's almost like they've been misplaced in some forgotten corner of the world. And then there's the son who, um, and this is most tragically of all, is he was just out and out rebellious. He, he knew about the father's love, but chose to walk away from it. So we have mm-hmm. three very different reasons to be lost. But whatever the reason, whatever the circumstance, God is a seeking God. I love how in, in all three parables you see, you see the, the repetition of, of the phrase that, that whoever it is that lost something turns literally everything over mm-hmm. upside down, that, that there's, there's nothing they won't do to recover the lost item. The, um, as soon as the lost item is found, they rejoice. Yes. And in the third parable in particular, he, Luke uses the same phrase that he uses throughout Luke and Acts. Here comes it a Greek is word. Necessary. Is, is it a good Greek word you're going to use, Dave? Day. D-E-I. <laughs> I love it. I'll bring on the Greek, but it, that, that phrase, it is necessary, repeated again and again, almost like it's the will of God that, that this had to happen. And so there's the sense of there has to be a party every time someone who is lost comes back to the fold. That's the second time in this podcast I've whispered into the microphone. Is that creepy? <laughs> First it was chicken tortilla soup. And then it was, I love Greek. No, I, I do, think... Do you want me to stop? Keep going. Brad Keep whispering. Yeah. <laughs> As the sound editor, he may. We may just edit that part out. I'll try not to be... I, n- I don't want to be that creepy pastor. Do y'all know pastors that are creepy? I, I don't... I've never known one. What? Not I, a one. I have, I've seen them from a distance. I have never known Definitely never a weirdo. worked for one. Yes. Luckily. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah. So don't want to be creepy. God, God is a God who will literally turn things upside down. And sometimes that includes he'll turn our life upside down because he's looking for us. And, and this is where it's a matter of perception, you know, and I said this just a few weeks ago, that, hey, sometimes it feels like that we're, we're searching for God and he's hiding from us. That's not reality. God is not hiding. In the garden, it was Adam and Eve that hid. You know, God was right there. Um, it feels like sometimes God is hiding, but the truth is God's the one seeking. We're the ones that are doing the hiding. Mm-hmm. Marissa, what you got? You're over there scrolling on your, your iMac. <laughs> well, I'd love to go back to the sheep. Go. And um, I think the sheep is, uh, you know, in modern speech, to be called a sheep has become an insult, which doesn't make any sense to me at all when a Christian calls another Christian a sheep and uses it as an insult, because that's all, that's who we are. 
we're sheep looking for a shepherd. We need to be able to recognize the voice of Jesus. So, so have you heard online, that, and I'm not making any political statements, but mm. those who are given to one political leaning or another, other will call them sheeple. Have you heard that before? Yes, yeah, yeah, which is ridiculous. You guys sound stupid. Yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's <laughs> Come it's, it's, it's on. Like, you're following mindlessly. You're just a bunch yeah, of sheeple. Yeah, but that's who we are. We're all looking for a shepherd. It just depends yes. who we allow to be our shepherd. We all need to allow... Uh, I. When you look at uh, the way it's described when the shepherd picks up the sheep that he does so joyfully, and Mm -hmm. the sheep's act is just to stand there and surrender and allow the shepherd to pick them up. And that's the repentance there. It's the surrender and allowing ourselves to be picked up and carried and accepting the fact that we are getting absolutely nowhere on our own. That's why a sheep is used as an insult, because without a shepherd, a sheep is a mess. And uh, they'll wander away from the fold, and they'll just stand there stunned and afraid and not have any idea where they're going. Um, and, and vulnerable, too. A sheep, right. a sheep does not have jaws or claws to, pr- to <laughs> right. protect itself. They're it awfully is. adorable, but it doesn't get them far. Yeah. So accepting the fact that we're getting nowhere on our own, we let Jesus resolve all that fear and, and anxiety and carry us. And there is no shame in that at all. That's our calling. That was a genuine chuckle there. It was a chuckle because, you know, we say a sheep looks adorable to a wolf. A sheep doesn't look adorable. It looks tasty. <laughs> you going to whisper in the mic again? Tasty. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's start kind of bringing this to a close. We've rambled a long way. I, I want each one of you to kind of just give one more um, brilliant thought. Um, I, I will invite you the next time you're on campus and you walk by the connecting corridor. Look on the art wall, the New Testament art wall. There's a there's a Rembrandt that has a depiction of the return of the prodigal son, and uh, there's a lot of. Um, pieces of that art that speak, one of which, look look on the son's shoulders that's kneeling down before his father. Uh, apparently, what Rembrandt did is he, he noticed the father's hands are different. There's one that's, that's large, almost like a, a, a mitt, because it's, it's meant to be a masculine hand. And then the other hand is softer, it's more subtle, so you have almost the hand of masculinity and femininity. The, did I say that right? The, mm-hmm. the, the hand mm-hmm. of, a, of a father and a mother, and you have both the sternness and the kindness of God represented in those hands. There's a lot of other pieces of that art, but that's one. Notice the father's hands, um, because it's both the sternness and the kindness of God that is depicted. Um, Dave and Marissa, we have some background noise going on. I know, on, so I, hear, I, know. I hear whispering. Yeah, I think there's a party <laughs> going on in the hall. Uh, so let's wrap this up so we can join the party. Yeah. Um, brilliant thoughts from each one of you. All right, go ahead, Dave. I... I would say that it's important for us to recognize God at work when he's calling people from darkness to light, uh, that as people who have been around church for any length of time, it's easy for us to think we're the, the, the sinner that's been found, but at the same time forget that we, once we've been in the fold for a while, we, we probably identify more with the older brother in the last passage, and it's helpful yep. for us to remember that God is at work and wants us to rejoice and join him in rejoicing over new people who are coming in and even looking for ways to invite them in, which means giving up our space, giving up our stuff, our territory. Jesus uh, you know, was speaking directly to the Pharisees that were grumbling and complaining at the beginning of the passage under their breath. They, it's funny, you've been whispering the whole time, but they were whispering to themselves, <laughs> not whispering to Jesus, and Jesus answered their question with these series of three, and his response ultimately went further than what their grumbling and complaining did to suggest that they themselves need to get on board with what God is doing and look for ways to invite other people to experience grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Yeah, we all start out as the younger brother, and if we're not careful, we will become the older brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a dangerous place to be. 
Marissa, what you got? So Jesus brings these two precious images of the coin uh, that's lost within the house and the sheep lost in the outer country, and he brings them together in the story of the prodigal son. Um, This is a family torn apart and made whole again because a father who had every right to be angry at both of the sons uh, instead reacted with abundant love and grace that neither of the boys deserved. Hmm. Um, I really wanted to point out, if you're interested in the prodigal son uh, as a parable and the cultural nuance of it, Ken Bailey has a fantastic sermon that he gave at Beeson Divinity School, which is your alma mater. No, it's not. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Where did you go? No, Southwestern Seminary. Southwestern? I thought you Beesoned. No, no, no. So I lived in Alabama. So when Calvin was at Beeson, Calvin Ah, Miller, my mentor, I would would, would go up to Beeson occasionally. Okay. Well, Beeson Divinity School, um, Ken Bailey gave a sermon there called Rescuing Truth from Familiarity that is just fantastic about the prodigal son. So you can Google that and uh, see that video or listen to that podcast. Um, but the, the younger son's demands for his share of the inheritance, they were beyond rude. And I think the way that he approaches his father is the way that many of us approach God. Um, he's telling his father that his life would be better if he were dead. Um, he's telling his father that he's tired of living under his care. And he seems to want to prove that, to, uh, that, that his father's love isn't just unnecessary to him, but it's a hindrance to his thriving. He wants to prove that he can do things on his own, which seems like uh, paths that Christians often follow. Um, th- when he finally came to rock bottom in that in that pig pen, as we all imagine from yep. our Sunday school stories, um, the rock bottom didn't make him realize just how badly he hurt his father. It didn't make him realize that he needed to uh, repent um, or it, or how badly he hurt his family. He only saw his father in terms of what he could do t- for him. Uh, the words that he uses, I have sinned against heaven and against you, would have been instantly recognizable to the Jewish audience because they're the words that Pharaoh uses in order to manipulate Moses. I mean, these were words of manipulation, not repentance. So when we relate to our parents as small children, um, we often think of them in terms of, of what we can get from them. How can they meet my needs? And that's that's the journey of the prodigal son, going from being a child to being embraced by the Father's love and grace and realizing I'm no longer a little child, I'm a son of God. That's right. That's good stuff. I'll I'll end with this. And by the way, you mentioned, tell me the name of the sermon, Ken Bailey, and anything you run across by Ken Bailey is really, really excellent. So tell me the name of the sermon. Rescuing Truth from Familiarity. All right. And of course, we've got a mention of what I think to be the quintessential book on this, uh, Tim Keller's Prodigal God. Mm. Um, It is, I I would consider it a... uh, uh, a classic on this because he just takes this parable and looks at it from every possible angle. It's a short little book, but it is very, very rich in its theology, and it's probably now it's probably 15, 20 years old already. Um, one last thing I'll say is looking at Luke 15 as a whole, uh, and I'll, I'll bring the message to, to a close um, You know, on Sunday with this. Jesus does kind of draw a verbal bullseye because mm-hmm. if you look at the ratio, the, the sheep— it's one in a hundred, the coins, it's one in ten, the sun, it's one in two. And so what Jesus is doing is kind of drawing a bullseye, and who's at the middle of that? Us. You know, we're, we're the ones that have been lost. We're the ones that God seeks out. We're the ones who've gone astray that God wants to find and restore to himself. And that's good stuff. Yeah, it is. All right. Any last words? I guess not. <laughs> Who else wants to whisper in the microphone? Somebody whisper in the microphone so I'm not alone. God bless.
bless you and keep you and make your face to shine upon you and grant you peace. Now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.